The Rush of the Morning Chaos at the Office Constant Notifications Loneliness and Despair The Distraction of Our Devices Conflict and Division Panic Stress of the Day-to-Day The Demands of Those Around Us All This Mess Morning. My name is Peter, one of the pastors here. The year was 1956. One late night, well past midnight, in the kitchen of an old house in Montgomery, Alabama, sat a 27 year old man stooped over a cup of coffee. Due to his involvement with the Montgomery bus boycott the previous month, he had been receiving a series of death threats by mail, by phone, to his own home. As many as 30 to 40 calls daily, often at night. And one call in particular, nearly 67 years ago to the day, stood out, and this man was shaken. His name? Martin Luther King Jr. With his wife and newborn sleeping in the bedroom, he found his way into the kitchen to pour himself a cup of coffee, but quickly buried his face in his hands, praying, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, but I must confess, I'm losing my courage. And then, in the deep silence that followed, he heard what he would later describe as an inner voice quietly saying, Martin Luther, stand up for truth. Stand up for justice. Stand up for righteousness. And his fear was driven away and his spirit strengthened for the work ahead. Now, as a little bit of a thought experiment, I found myself playing back this account in my mind, wondering how might that night have gone today? Here he is and he's shaken. He gets up, goes to the kitchen Brews himself a pot of coffee and the aroma just filling the room like incense. And then he takes a seat. And he takes in a deep breath. And then proceeds to pull out his iPhone and scroll social media. Or maybe he cues up the latest series to binge off Netflix. Or he gets another email notification on his phone. Ding! Another death threat. This night took place seven years before the famous March on Washington. Seven years before he would ever utter a single word of that unforgettable I have a dream speech. This 
sacred cup of coffee, quiet coffee, was a harrowing, defining moment that would set the course for all those things to take place. How might history have changed if in that moment he gave in to the noise? If in that moment, instead of silence with God, he chose distraction or reactivity. You don't need me to tell you that our world is noisy. So noisy. And these things are doing nothing to help us out. On a panel describing the ails of social media today, Bo Burnham explained how social media companies are out there to colonize what he called every second of our life. Listen to this. He said, they're not even doing it consciously. It's because these companies like Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram and everything, they went public, they went to shareholders, so they have to grow, right? Their entire models are based off of growth. They cannot stay stagnant. They have to get more of you. We used to colonize land, he added, because that's where the money was, but there's no place left to expand on earth. And then they realized, oh, what about human attention? So now we've got multi-billion dollar companies trying to colonize every second of your life. But we realize, don't we, that this is hardly a new strategy. In 1980, 1980, so nearly a half century ago, CNN paved the way for this when they introduced what we've now come to know as the 24-hour news cycle. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you want to know the latest news happening in the world around you? Look no further than your own television set, right? 200 years before that, the introduction of the daily newspaper. The latest intel from around the world, they're in black and white in the palm of your hands. Bo Burnham is right. There are multi-billion dollar companies out there trying to colonize every second of our lives. But the scariest thing is that we kind of like it. We like it. We like the feeling of knowing what's going on. We like being able to form an opinion on what's happening around us. We, we like getting to speak into affairs that take place far outside our own actual realms of influence. We like trying to be like God. And we quickly realize that whether it's the iPhone or the television set, or the newspaper, or even the town gossip before that. What we are really reaching for when we hear that notification ding is the tree that got us into trouble in the first place. I'm talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Long before cell phones and newspapers, there stood in a garden called Eden two trees. One, a tree of life, representing life with God, a trust in God's ways and God's power and his heart of love for us. And another tree known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so rather than trying to find shade in the rule and reign of God, like our parents, Adam and Eve, we strive instead for the fruit of this endless stream of information, seeking to determine for ourselves what we think, how we would vote, why we are right and others are wrong. The great temptation before us each and every day is the very same one that's faced us since the beginning. To be more than human. To be more than human. To be like God. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. To know what isn't ours to know to feel the burden to do what we cannot possibly do, to be at all times in all the places that we cannot possibly be at once. Every day we condition ourselves with the impossible demands of trying to be more than was ever asked of us. Is it any surprise then that we find ourselves so absolutely burdened and burned out? Just two weeks ago, I found myself so utterly overwhelmed by the noise of this thing that I literally chucked it across the room and it just stayed under some piece of furniture for hours. I was so tired of this thing, so absolutely exhausted by this thing. And I I know I'm not the only one. No wonder stress levels are through the roof, right? No wonder so many of us are burning out. And my question is, is it any surprise? What else could we expect after a lifestyle of actively choosing this forbidden fruit? Is there another way? Some path toward reclaiming our minds and our hearts and getting out from under this heavy burden that we find pressing in all around us? Is there a way? Is there hope? The answer, I believe, is one that none of us would expect to hear. And we're going to find it in the life and ministry of a man named Jeduthun. Jeduthun. We're just going to call him Jed for short. Now, you don't need me to tell you that Jed is not a famous character in the Bible. We'll get there in a moment. Jed is not a famous character in the Bible, like not at all. He doesn't make any uh, 100, top 100 lists, but he was enormously trusted by one of the most famous biblical characters of all time, David. Shepherd boy turned giant slayer and eventual king, David. Now, David's a big deal, right? And throughout his story, he has what appears to be a direct line of communication with God. He wasn't called a man after God's own heart for nothing. And yet, there were times when even David reached out to others and to call on God on his behalf. 
And 2 Chronicles 35, 15 says and names these three. Asaph, Heman, and our boy, Jed. I know many of us here trust Pastor Jeff with our lives. If anything goes wrong, if we need to hear from God in some way, we wonder what advice or counsel Jeff may have for us. Well, imagine for a moment, who does Jeff go to when he needs wisdom? That's what our boy Jed was like for King David. As strong a connection as David had with God, there were times he leaned on others. And Jed, we find out, wasn't just a trusted source for him. He wasn't just a guy he went to to help him hear from God. But Jed was also a worship leader as well. And he was trusted with the task of helping God's people engage in worship through song. And of all the 150 psalms, one that he was known to lead most often has something very specific and life-changing to say to us on such a subject as we are discussing today. So please turn with me to Psalm 62. Psalm 62, and it opens with this in verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From God comes my salvation. To our question of how can we reclaim our minds and get out from under this heavy burden that presses in all around us, Jed advises us to become comfortable with silence. Specifically, silence with God. He continues to tell us why, verse 2. For God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Without God, he's going to be shaken to the core. Why? Here's the situation. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. He's like, I'm being attacked. I'm being berated, bullied for my own frailties, people speaking lies around me, fake news, anyone? I'm surrounded by people who flatter me to my face and then stab me in the back, he says. And then he finishes out verse 4 saying, Selah. Selah. Selah is a word in Hebrew that we're not totally sure what it means. Some say it's like a musical break, like a rest in music or, or speed up or something along those lines. Psalms are songs after all, so maybe it's where the bass you know, kicks in or it's an indication for Jed to start shredding on the harp. I don't, I don't know. Eugene Peterson once joked, since none of us really knows what it means, Maybe it was just a Hebrew cuss word the worship leader accidentally slipped when he broke a guitar string. I don't know. Selah, right? 
Jokes aside, the best interpretation or closest one, it seems, is to stop and listen. To pause. To sit back and reflect on what we just heard and soak in it. But given the context here, I'm doubtful that it would look like a calm, ah, pause. No, this feels a bit more exasperated, doesn't it? More of a, why? You know, the groanings with which we cannot speak, that sense of being caught, the wind knocked out of us and we don't know how we're going to take the next breath. You got nothing left. That's Selah right here. At a loss for words. What are we supposed to do in these moments? In the midst of all the noise, what can we do? Jed patterns it for us once more in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is in him. The answer to the noise around us, the chaos around us, the busy, hurried, ceaseless rushing of it all is silence. And this is so contrary to what we choose, isn't it? Like just this week, as I'm mindful of and preparing for this message, I cannot tell you the number of times I chose to react or even just distract myself rather than choose to respond in silence. Someone's yelling in my face, my phone's going off, situations are mounting against me, and the last thing that I think to do, Jed advises us to do, to choose silence. And lest we think this is just another sermon by yet another preacher that makes us realize all the things we should do, but does nothing in terms of actually helping us accomplish it, Jed spends the rest of this psalm outlining five steps that we can begin to take today. Five keys of cultivating a spirit or a sanctuary of silence within ourselves to counter and navigate this world of noisy reactivity that we find ourselves in. The first is this, wait. Wait. When emotions rise and turmoil starts to churn inside, the psalmist writes, wait. And in fact, he said it twice now. We saw it in verse 1 a moment ago, didn't we? For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And now again in verse 5, for God alone, oh my soul, wait. This is going to seem obvious, but it bears repeating. After all, he's repeated himself already. When you want to react when you want to deflect, when you want to distract yourself, and when you want to explode because frustration is building up to a boiling point and you feel like you're about to burst, wait. Pause. Hold on. Selah. Waiting 
is the first key step of silence. And although it's going to look passive on the surface, let me assure you, it is so much more than simply doing nothing. Picture a dam holding on and not breaking despite the massive amounts of water pressing against it. That's waiting. Waiting is heroic. Waiting is strong. Isaiah 40, verse 31, the prophet Isaiah speaks to this when he says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. For anyone here who's weary, and I put both of my hands up for this, for anyone who's feeling faint-hearted and yet knows there is work to do and races to be run and skies to be soared, the scriptures detail for us an invitation to an alternative way, and it starts with waiting. Why? Psalm 62 continues because, verse 6, God only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. See this, pour out your heart before him. So first we wait and then what? We pour. We wait and then we pour. He says, pour it all out, your heart, all of it before God. There can be a sense in which it feels spiritual and strong to share nothing with anyone. And yet here we're clearly told, pour everything out. Why? Because it is impossible to know what's inside until it's been poured out. I've got two containers here today. Two containers. One that's clear and empty. The other that's not. And any guesses what color this drink is going to be? Any guesses? It makes sense. Coffee, right? Coffee mug. Here we go. Ready? Watch this. Watch this. Don't know if you can zoom in and see this. That's a T-Rex in there. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that one coming, right? How could we? Unless we took the time to pour it out. Now, sure, some of us are transparent. We wear our hearts on our sleeves, and it's easy to tell what's going on inside. But many of us are a little bit more opaque, we'll call it little more guarded. And sometimes what we need to do is pour it out to see what's inside. I like how Flannery O'Connor said it. 
I write because I don't know what I think until I read what I say. It's a lot like that sometimes, isn't it? A couple weeks ago, I encouraged us to begin incorporating a practice of journaling. If you've begun that process, then you already know everything you've written is a beautiful example of pouring it out. And just like pouring out lets you know what's inside, what often happens for me as I look back and I see the things that I've written in real time or speak to God, I begin to realize, oh, wow, look at the patterns here. I didn't realize that I was upset about this thing from, from yesterday. But clearly I've been holding on to it, right? I didn't realize there was all this stuff inside of me. When you pour it out, you're not being weak. What you're doing is you're being real. You're taking off the mask long enough to deal with the mess before a T-Rex spills out on somebody else. Silence doesn't mean we don't express what's flooding our soul. Silence means instead of dumping it all over someone else in the moment, I'm going to find and establish healthy rhythms of pouring it out so that to the only one who can actually do something about it. And as we do, we quickly discover if there are things that we need to let go of which is precisely where the psalmist takes us next in verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase... Set not your heart on them. Do you see his realizations? He's practically going all Ecclesiastes on us, right? He's like, it's all nothing. It's all vapor. It's all, if you're up and up or you're down and out, it's just a sham. It's just a delusion. Riches, don't trust them. Robbery and theft, don't resort to that. It's all not worth anything. And then he resolves something. Look at the verse 10 again. He says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. He's getting at our third step of cultivating silence within. And that is to reset. Reset. Wait, pour, reset. After you've waited and poured yourself out to God, now reset, meaning instead of leaving your hopes set on the things that will let you down, set your hopes on God. He says, set no vain hopes on robbery. Why? Chances are, Jed's had a little bit of experience of what it means to be a thief, and he's realized it doesn't work. It doesn't deliver. And so he's trying to reset his hope on God, not money. But maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's something else like fame or relationships or good health or self-sufficiency. I can do this on my own. I'll level. Maybe it's recognition. 
That's one that I have to hit the reset button on from time to time in my life. Recognition. I don't need to be rich and famous, but I sure want to be recognized by others for the things that I've done. And in certain moments, especially when I'm feeling unappreciated or undervalued, whatever I think that means, and I begin reacting out of that place, I'm reminded here to wait. To pour it out to God. And in so doing, I realize Britney Spears was right. Oops, I did it again. I'm dumping my T-Rex of recognition all over everybody once more. Time to reset. Time to reset. So that's it for me. But let's be real. That's just one of the things for me. If we kept going, I'd be here all day. But what is it for you? Where do you often have to remind yourself, oh yeah, this thing that I've been hoping in, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And my insides are just going to keep spiraling out of control until I anchor my hopes deep down into who God is. Which is why verse 11 says this. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Why? Because after we reset, our next task is to hear. To hear. As we get our hopes off of where they were and set them back on God, we position ourselves to hear from him again. And most often, what we hear from God is what he said before. Look at verse 11 one more time. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this? Like, what's that about? Once he's spoken, twice I've heard it, huh? Well, this is actually a poetic way of saying, I have to remind myself again of the things that God has previously said. He said it once before, and it's in my memory, but, but maybe I'm not living in accordance with that. And I have to recall it from my mind and now incorporate it into my life. See, it's to remember. Remember. And if you think about that word for a moment, remember, it's kind of a graphic image if you think about it too long. Because what is a member of your body? Like a finger or a hand. So... When the Bible tells us to remember something, to remember the Lord in the days of our youth, it's like to remember, to reattach something that otherwise is not affecting my life. Because it's become detached or demembered. And what I need to do is to remember it or it cannot help me in this moment. This is why we memorize Bible verses. This is why we sing songs with truths in them even when we don't feel it. This is why we meet together regularly to rehearse with one another who our God is and what he has done and will do because we forget, don't we? We forget. But once God has spoken, twice I've heard. And what's that? Verse 11 continues. I've heard that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, 
belongs steadfast love. Power and love. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. He is. But it is impossibly hard to hold on to this when our world spins violently, violently out of control, isn't it? It's hard to hold on to the fact that he is all-loving and all-powerful when everything is falling to the cracks. And so sometimes we forget. But imagine for a second that you didn't forget. Imagine what would your life look like if you always knew and somehow never forgot that God is all-powerful. If you always knew and somehow never forgot that God is all-loving. How would that radically change your response to whatever happens? How would that knowing that God's power and his love are forever and eternal, how would that change the very circumstance that you are in right now? It would lead to the fifth and final word. Trust. Trust. That's what verse 8 said. Trust in God at all times. Read that again. Trust in him at all times. Which is why verse 11 closes out our psalm on silence like this. For you, God, will render or give to a man according to to his work. You, God, will give to each of us according to our work. He's saying, trust in God at all times because it's not riches and it's not fame and it's not health and it's not anything else that can make everything right in the end but God and God alone. And so trust. Trust. But notice, we don't start with trust. He gives us a sequence to get there. Because in the moment when things are happening, I'm not ready to trust. I need to wait. And I need to pour everything out to him. And then once the dam is broken and he's gotten it all from me, then I'm ready to reset my hopes. And then I'm ready to hear. And then by God's grace, I will trust him. So here's what we're going to do with the time we have remaining. We're going to sit in silence for a while. Because the only way that we can learn to react with silence in the moment that's heated and we're not thinking with our brains in that moment, we have to take time out of our day routinely and regularly to practice this so it becomes our reflex. So we're going to take time right now to show how seriously that I think this is for us. We're going to take time right now for the remainder of our message to put this into practice. Now, I admit this is going to feel a little awkward. 
especially at first. But the fact that it is so foreign to us is precisely why we must incorporate silence into our everyday. So we're going to use our five keys to silence. They'll be up on the screen for us. And a little bit at a time, we'll walk through each one, highlighting it and moving through that motion. So here, here's what we're going to start. We're going to start with wait, right? That's the first one. We wait. Right where you are, relax. You can sit. You can kneel. Whatever you need. You can close your eyes. You can keep your eyes open. That's up to you. But I want you to relax. Take a deep breath. In through your nose. Out through your mouth. And wait in silence. Next, pour. What's frustrating you? What's weighing on you? What's got you down? What's distracting you? Just lay it all out before him. And you may have noticed during our waiting that your mind was wandering those distractions are invitations to welcome God into it. So wherever your mind went, we're going to use the next couple of moments to pour it all out. If you have a journal, you can write this down or you can just pray it in your heart to him right now. But however you do it, let's pour it all out to him. as you've poured your heart out to him, I want you to consider any repeated themes, any repeated words that showed up in your heart. Pay attention to those. Have you been setting your hopes perhaps in your work? Maybe too much of your identity is tied to relationships. Are you overly concerned with questions about money and stuff right now? Pause and reset your hopes on him. Reset. 
set. Maybe you need to confess when good things have become too important in your life. Maybe you need to relinquish control of a particular area, but whatever it is, reset means to set it aside and to set your hopes on God once again. Fourth, hear. Hear. As you sit in quietness, what scriptures, what truths of who God is or things he has said are being recalled to your mind? What's he saying? And if you're not hearing something, then consider, what has he said the last time? You heard him speak. Remember that. So listen and hear. Finally, trust. Trust. This is where, after silence with God, we wipe our faces, we rise up, and we go in peace to do whatever God has told us to do. If you're doing this at home, I think a good practice would be to close with something like a prayer It could be the Lord's Prayer. It could be Psalm 23. It could be your own improvised prayer or even a familiar song. And so to close out our time right now, I just want us to sing the first verse of that great hymn, Be Thou My Vision. You're welcome to join in. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my light. So that is the blessing of silence in a nutshell. How do you feel? 
It's not hard, but it's not natural, right? Can we acknowledge that that was a little bit different? And yet that's exactly why we need to try it. So here's my encouragement to you. Try it for yourself this week. You can grab a group of friends and set a time and do it together, or you can make it a personal practice. I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been setting a 10-minute timer for right around lunchtime to process the morning, get my heart right for the rest of the day. But however you choose to actually do this is the right way to do it. And as we put this into practice personally, my prayer and my hope for us will be that we find God shaping us collectively into sanctuaries, temples and places of peace in the midst of a world of noise. So thank you for being here this morning. God bless and may his peace go with you today.